It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest And a very good Tuesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie on our own taking your calls today, 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp as well to 0862-103-103. In a couple of minutes, we're going to be speaking with the 221 Plus, the Cervital Check uh, Group. Uh, they're joining us because they walked away from the tribunal talks last week and they walked away because they felt they weren't being listened to and that really blew me away because I was thinking there's nobody else you need to listen to except the group that are involved in the 221 uh, Plus. These are the women themselves are they are the family members when women have passed away it's sometimes their spouses or their children take up the campaign to help other women who have been affected by this vital check uh, controversy. So they are the ones they're probably the only ones that you need to talk to so it was shocking to think that they felt that they weren't been listened to so we'll get the latest on that uh, story. Have you had or have you noticed rodent infestation or insect infestation in your house particularly since lockdown? It seems nationwide there has been an increase in the number of these infestations particularly during lockdowns. I suppose it's got a lot to do as well with buildings being emptied. Uh, Nobody in business you know some of the businesses have closed or people are working from home so there's nobody inside in the building and is that making it a safer place for rats or mice or other insects to decide oh a nice place to set up home for the winter so if you have a question to do with rodent or insect infestation we'll have an expert to join us on the programme today we're also going to find out how Cork County Council got on yesterday they passed their budget for next year and probably one of the most difficult year not just for Cork County Council but for all councils most of their revenue dried up uh, this year and I know they've they've got a bailout, they had to get a bailout uh, from the government so we'll look at what council budgets are going to look like going next year, uh, particularly for those in Cork uh, County Council. We'll be looking at some new books that are out aimed at young children and they come with some very powerful safety messages. These really are gorgeous books. We'll review them uh, later on. We'll hear a report from our news reporter Fiona Donnelly who went out yesterday to speak to some people who've set up new business 
businesses during a pandemic. Now, that's a very brave thing to do. We know we're hearing of businesses closing all over uh, the country. And here we have people deciding, well, they're going to completely change what they have been doing and they set up a new business. So if we give them any sort of publicity or encouragement, uh, we're only too happy to, to help out. And it is... Tuesday. That means Joe Heffernan will join us in the final hour of the programme and this morning we are continuing with the discussion that we started last week on problem gambling. It seems this is something that has very much come to the fore in the last number of years and I suppose it's got a lot to do with it's so easy now to gamble online. There was a time when to be a gambler you had to physically go into the betting shop. Now you can be in, in your you don't have to leave your bedroom let alone your house and you can be gambling away every single red cent you have and getting yourself into a huge amount of debt. So we'll be doing one of those sort of questions and answers today. If you think if you're worried about your gambling and you think you may need help then make sure you're tuned and listening to Joe uh, later on in the programme. 1850 Bernie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Now the Taoiseach Mi- Martin has promised to further engage on the Savital Czech Tribunal after campaigners walked away from talks last week claiming that they're not being listened to. Stephen Teep of the 221 Plus group uh, joins me. Good morning to you Stephen. Well, you're you're very welcome. Was that a very tough decision to walk away from talks? Are we we guys just so frustrated? You felt you'd know the choice. Yeah, look, I think it came down to that we we, we there was no other option uh, for us. Really, uh, we just seemed to be going around in circles for the last couple of weeks on this issue. I think just to, if I could just quickly just just run just run through, I suppose the, the timeline of, of events that that happened just over the last couple of months. Yeah, please um, when the Minister of Health took office back in June, we wrote out immediately to him um, with a number of items on our agenda, but the main one being the, the establishment of this tribunal, which has been delayed now and ongoing for over two years. Um, and basically what we wanted to do was get a meeting with the Minister to um, run through concerns that we had in relation to a number of items, but in particular the tribunal. Uh, that was the end of June. By the time we actually got to sit down with the minister, it was at the beginning of September. And what we did at that meeting was we highlighted the issues that the tribunal, that we see with the tribunal. And the tribunal essentially, as I said to the minister directly, in its current format, is not fit for purpose. And we listed out the reasons why. And we also listed out the solutions that we saw um, that that could fix these issues. Okay, well, um, why is it not fit for purpose? Well, basically, when they set up the tribunal, they wanted to set up an alternative to the High Court, something that was less adversarial than actually going to the High Court itself. And when we say less adversarial, when you're bringing a claim to the High Court, negligence needs to be established. And if you're going to the High Court, the defendant has every right to argue against that. And of course, we're taking these um, big multinational labs to the court. And what we're looking for is something like what we saw with like the Marcy last year, up and down the court, up in the stand. Shocking, shocking what happened to her. Absolutely horrendous. Like, given that she was battling her own personal battles at the time, like we saw her in the different stages of her treatment up and down in Dublin. And this is a really scary place for people, particularly for, for, for many of the women that are post-cancer, but have a, I suppose, are fighting, I suppose, all of the, the, the things that you do post-cervical cancer as well. And some are still, um, still have cancer. So we want something less adversarial than the high court. And right now, the tribunal is just more or less um, a duplication of what the high court actually is. But the two biggest issues are, um, one was in relation to the statute of limitations. Um, just to quickly, just not go 
Um, that would have been around the time Vicky Phelan stood in the court at the end of April 2018. Okay, so the two years, two years is, two, is gone. Two years has gone since May. Now, for yeah. many of the people, many of the people, they've already lodged. With the High Court, we do have a case, but some have been holding out in good faith on the back of what the government has been saying about an alternative route to the tribunal. The concern for us now is that they are now statute barred and won't be able to apply to the High Court. That was the one issue that we had. And the simple solution to that is that they could make an amendment that they actually already did with the tribunal in relation to the statute of limitations. But they were unwilling to do that. But the biggest problem, Patricia, um, the most concerning, we've gone out to all of our members, and mainly, obviously, the majority being the women that are now post-cancer. Um, the reoccurrence of cancer is um, a huge problem for, for, for all of these women. Um, God forbid reoccurrence does happen. There's no cure for this cancer. And as we just saw with Vicky Phelan last night on television, you know, there is no cure for this cancer. Um, there's only one outcome, and that, unfortunately, is the person will die from this. And it is... Uh, well, that's uh, what happened in, in your own case. With Irene, it was reoccurrence, wasn't it? Well, you see, that was this, Patricia. Yeah, so, like, I know, I know too well myself. So, Irene, when she originally got um, cervical cancer, she beat it and less than six months after we were told that, you know, everything was going well. Her reoccurrence happened and less than 12 months later she passed away. It was the same with Ruth Morrissey. It was the same with Emma Zikmahuna. You know, so reoccurrence doesn't happen. It does happen, not in a lot of cases, but it does. And of course, it's a massive concern for women um, in the 2 to 1 plus support group. And it's the issue that they've raised the most with So what we're looking for in the tribunal is an opportunity. God forbid a uh, reoccurrence does happen that the woman has an opportunity to revisit the tribunal to look for um, future costs that will provide care for their children and their family for when that awful day comes when they pass away. Didn't and that happen for the Hep C cases? Exactly, you see. So this did happen. So there is precedent there. Precedent has been set and yeah. the thing that we've been highlighting. We're not trying to recreate the wheel here, Patricia. Um, we're just looking for more or less a copy and paste of what they did with the Hep C tribunal to allow a gateway back into the tribunal for these women. Also as well, what needs to be done and um, a lot came out from Ruth Morrissey, actually. She's just incredible in what she actually achieved uh, for everybody else in her own case, because, as you know, the state appealed, and State of the Labs appealed her original ruling in the High Court, and she ended up in the Supreme Court, if you remember, during the first lockdown back yeah, in yeah. April, they ruled on that. Uh, one of the things they ruled on was um, a gap in the law around the Civil Liability Act, which prevents women, if they take a case for harm, and they accept this, um, the damages, that it prevents their family from going back to the court to get costs for future care of their children after a woman is deemed terminal with a reoccurrence. And it is something that the, the Chief Justice in the Supreme Court raised. He says this something needs to be done with this. It's something for the legislature. It's not something for the Supreme Court or judges to intervene on. Uh, this has been an ongoing issue for a number of years now, and it's also an element that we've been highlighting for the um, for the government to review and look at. But of course, this of this seems to be falling on deaf ears because um, I think it's important to say that this isn't Lorraine, Vicky, and I and the other members of the support group coming up 
creating these problems with the tribunals. We're not legal experts, Patricia, so we've been actually engaging with a number of legal advisors on this, and mainly the legal advisors that are representing the women and families who do have a case. And they're telling us these are the issues that they're faced with. These are the reasons why we won't be recommending to our clients that the tribunal is the best route for them, and we will be telling them it will be their recommendation that they stick with the high court. And until something's done with these issues, um, they won't be they won't be recommending yeah. that the women families go to the tribunal. Yeah, it's Although, just it's just shocking what these what these women are being put to, and and families and what they're continued uh, to be to be put to. And I mean, I read in the papers today that the health minister Stephen Donnelly is to bring an update to cabinet about the Cervical Check Tribunal today. I mean, what's going to be in that update? The update, I think, Patricia, is everything we already know. Yeah. You know, I don't like. There's nothing new coming to happen today. I think it's just a waste of time. I don't know, divide time or dilute the headlines a bit. Um, you know, because the last letter that we received from Stephen Donnelly last week, um, I'll just quote from it if I may. It says, um, "It has not been possible to meet your request in respect of the statute of limitations or the issue of reoccurrence. The advice from the Attorney General is unambiguous in respect of both of these issues." Given that the government also said that this is about finding the best route for the women and families, when you combine those over the last number of correspondence that we had with the health minister and the Department of Health, it's really come, it, this is really the reason why we felt there was just no alternative for us to be engaging any further with the Department of Health or the Minister of Health on this matter, and to put all our focus now in supporting our members, uh, giving them all of the information that um, they require to hand over to the their legal teams in order to come up with the best advice possible that's for them. And of course, as always, um, our role is to put the women and families first, Patricia. It all uh, happens. Anytime we engage. And, my, and by the way, I, I mentioned in the introduction that the Taoiseach last week promised uh, to further engage. Has he made any inroads to, to come and meet with your group? No, there's been nothing. Oh, um, I read that. I read that in the, 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 the papers also. Yeah. Do you know, look, if there was any opportunity, Patricia, at all to do right for the women and families, in this, and particularly the women that are in fear of this element of reoccurrence, and putting a quick end to this debacle for them and getting in and out of this court process as quickly and as easy as possible, of course we will speak to anybody on that. But as far as engaging further with the Minister of Health, the Department of Health on this, it's um, at this stage, the conversations have won its course. Um, our words are falling on deaf ears and we just seem to be getting the same response back. All we're trying to do here is highlight from the ground up the real concerns of real people that this is affected and unfortunately the government aren't stepping up to the market. Sure, and let's remember this was through no fault of their own. The women did no, no uh, wrong. Uh, and Stephen, how, how are you and the boys uh, getting on? I was thinking about you yesterday. I was reading an article that it's, it's Bereaved Children's Awareness Week this week. Right, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. I thought of you and, and your two little boys, uh, Noah and Oscar. Um, how are they getting on? They're, um, they're doing very well, Patricia. You know, um, I think with, like, with the lockdown, the way things are, look, it's good to have them back in school. It's good to have a routine. My youngest guy only started primary school. Noah only started in yeah. September. So it was great to get him uh, in there. He was very excited about it. Jeez, you know, thank God, he's, I'm, I'm blessed with the teachers in the school that they're in. And they seem to be getting on great. But um, this week, as you mentioned, it's a very important week, uh, very personal to me, obviously. Um, you know, Bereaved Children's Awareness Week, and it's basically to highlight what the week is involved. What's involved in the week is basically to highlight that children grieve too. 
with their mum. Do you know, I'm on two separate journeys with them. Um, in well, Oscar, Oscar would have been old enough to have remembered mummy, but is, Noah wouldn't. Absolutely. So yeah. if you remember, Oscar, Oscar was four when Irene passed away. Noah was two. Noah was still in nappies. But Oscar still has his own memory of um, Irene. And we, and you know, it's, it's very important as a parent that you constantly talk about yeah. uh, these memories. And you know, you, you don't study, he doesn't, so he don't fade out. The thing with Noah is sad, you know, isn't it because he was so young that he doesn't have any physical memories of his own because he didn't have the vocabulary or the comprehension to hang on to these memories of his, of, of his mother. And obviously it's something that it was like really upsetting to Irene as well when she found out that that they were stopping treatment for her and that she knew that the end was near because it was a case of like like her little baby's not going to remember her. Which is why for me it's always important that you can talk about people that have gone in your lives. And for me it's trying to think of stories that are between him and his mom, you know, and there's a story I shared with him ages back and you know if I read it like she'd kill me for sharing this with you on the radio but I did the other day as well and it was um, you know there when you have a newborn and you're absolutely shattered and wrecked tired and that you know it's like we all go through this one day Irene was putting go in the car and you know she, she left the back door open and she started to drive off and uh, I wouldn't mind Irene only did this one I must once I did must have done this about 20 times tired of this. you know I think we've all we're all guilty of it but anyway, the reason I'm telling you this is because I had said this story to Noah and he just got the greatest laugh out of it. But you could just see his eyes light up that there was a funny story about him and his mum. Yeah, and yeah. what's incredible about it is he, he recites this story constantly now in the car. Yeah. And he goes, Dad, do you remember that time mum put me in the car and she left the door open, she drove off. She, she's so silly, isn't she? Oh, he, that's just so The way sweet. he recites it in the one person as well, Patricia, like it's his memory now and, it's it, and, and it will be and, and he in his own mind is visualising it he hasn't he hasn't exactly. and, and he'll carry yeah. that with him for life he really will Christmas I imagine Stephen probably always a tough time for you is it? This time of year is just yeah, yeah. tough for a number of reasons Trisha because you have Oscar's birthday on the 13th of December uh, you have Irene's birthday the 23rd of December you have Christmas Day the 25th obviously and you have my birthday the 6th of January. Oh, wow. So this time, of year, it's always, I think, when you lose someone, it's, it's the milestones that are always the hardest. And uh, we, we seem to be bombarded with a number of them this time of year. But look, we've, we, we'll manage, we'll get through it. Um, you know, it's just the time for family, it's time for being with each other also. And, you know, hanging on to those memories of Irene and decorating the house and sticking up the decorations that she likes best as well and talking about those. So, you know, look, we'll, we'll do what we can. I'll tell you, those little boys are blessed to have you as as a dad yeah. and, the, and the 221 Plus group blessed to have you as well uh, Stephen long may you continue listen thank you for thanks that much, and uh, thanks for doing stay safe and have a good Christmas same to you Patricia God bless God bless bye 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 the wonderful uh, Stephen Teep and uh, remembering his wife uh, Irene who sadly passed away in July of 2017 may she rest in peace 1850 Bernie's taking your calls today you can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862 I can see a lot of people um, texting and WhatsApping a lot of people having sympathy for Stephen Teep and the 221 plus those women have 
have just been put through so much and everybody's had so much great hope for the Cervital Czech Tribunal that that would sort of draw a line under the stand and those women will be allowed to get on with their lives. But it's just, you can sense the frustration speaking with uh, Stephen today on the programme. So thank you for people taking uh, time out to text. Somebody else has text saying, Patricia, will we be able to visit people in care homes and nursing homes uh, for Christmas, do you know? No, I'm assuming from that question you you weren't tuned yesterday. We actually spoke with Ty Daly of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. They are very hopeful that there will be some kind of visitation allowed over Christmas. What form that is going to take, we don't know yet. How, it won't be a free-for-all. I mean, it certainly won't be like what visiting nursing homes on previous years have been on Christmas Day when it would almost have been like Clapham Junction. The front door would be open and people would be in and out all day. And the nursing homes, of course, would have loved that and would have welcomed the buzz and the excitement of it all. That's Realistically, that's not going to happen this year. But what's, what is hoped is there'll be some kind of facilit- facilitation, even if it means that only one family member can get to visit a loved one. They're looking at something like that might be introduced. But of course, we're all waiting to see. We're all looking to the government. We're all looking to Neffet. We know that it's, this is the week we're going to hear when we will come out of level five, expected to come out and next week and into level three. But it is expected at this stage that there will be different stages to level three that will run right across the month of December. They're expecting from next week. Now, somebody's saying, does next week mean Monday? We don't know. They've been saying the 1st of December. I would assume once the announcement is made that when they're talking about retail outlets and gyms and hairdressers and barbers and beauticians and nail bars, I'm assuming they will open up nine o'clock on Monday morning, but we're going to have to wait for the official announcement. But it is expected they will all reopen next week. Reading through the papers today, they're saying restaurants and pubs that serve food may have to wait at least another week before they'll be allowed to serve customers. Uh, government officials, remember yesterday I mentioned this, that they were, they were examining plans to ditch the nine euro, this substantial meal that you had to have in a pub in order to go in, have the meal and have a few drinks. There was talks that they ditch that and they put in new regulations instead. But I read today that sources involved in the talks are saying it is now expected that the nine euro meal rule will remain in place. The reason for that is that officials can't decide on any other mechanism that they can put in place that would distinguish between pubs that serve food and what we now have come to call the wet pubs because it certainly is looking like the wet pubs are not going to open certainly in the next number of weeks if they will open at all before uh, Christmas. It is very unlikely that they are going to uh, open. Now rules on household visits and inter-county travel that's going to be eased not from next week that'll be eased closer to Christmas Day itself and the aim of that of course is to allow families uh, to gather together for Christmas. The government will put a significant emphasis on people taking personal responsibility during the period uh, but they will issue guidelines on how to keep safe. The Taoiseach said the government will decide on how to exit level five. They'll do it either Thursday or Friday. Micheál Martin held talks with the Thánaiste Leader of Radcar and the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan yesterday. The Cabinet are meeting today ahead of Neffet giving their advice to the government. Neffet are now going to meet tomorrow, Wednesday. They were meant to meet on Thursday but that's been brought back by a day. 
and then a cabinet committee on COVID. They'll consider the recommendations before a final cabinet meeting will sign off on the uh, plan. What's interesting is most were expecting that the announcement would be made on Friday, but it seems the cabinet, would they have their usual meeting today. And as I mentioned, they've asked Neffet, don't meet on Thursday, meet on uh, Wednesday. And they're now saying that it is looking like, and I'm assuming Smihol Martin will address the nation and tell us what's happening, that the announcement will be made on Thursday instead of Friday. Partially, it's believed to avoid a clash with the Late Late Toy Show. Now, I don't know if Michal Martin is, a, is actually going to come out or the government are going to come out and admit we've gone a day early with the news because we don't want to clash with the with the toy show. And of course, the thing was, if they, they decided to clash with the toy show, I think the toy show would probably have more viewers than uh, Michal Martin. So it looks like it is going to be Thursday. Again, I don't have a timeline on when the announcement is going to be made. But everyone, I think this is one of the ones that everyone's going to be hanging, waiting to hear what Micheál Martin has to uh, say. It is expected that the government will be allowing people to visit their family members on a Christmas Day. There's speculation in some of the papers I read in the front page of the Examiner today. Hugging relations will not be permitted. So you can go visit your relations, but you're not to give them uh, a hug. There will be unfettered movement across the country. Obviously, that will allow people to go back to to home, no matter where they're living, if they want to go home for uh, Christmas. But the no physical contact with family members, not in your immediate family. They're also going to suggest if you are having any kind of a family gathering over Christmas, that it must be in well-ventilated rooms. And that made me smile. I was like, God, I hope we get a mild Christmas because if we have a bitterly cold Christmas and you have to have the windows and doors open to make sure that the house is well-ventilated, I don't know how that's going to work with uh, some people. Some government sources are suggesting that for a week or two before Christmas Day, level two restrictions on gatherings will come in. And if you remember back to level two, level two allows six people from two households to meet indoors. That will work for some families, but it won't work for all families because we know there are situations where we have some very large families and also you can get extended families who meet up over Christmas. I mean, we've often heard of people cooking a turkey for 20, 25 people. They're saying that's going to be a non-runner. They're saying six uh, people. But that's going to put some parents perhaps in the position of having to, let's choose the favourite son or daughter to bring round the family table for Christmas. I mean, what what's going to happen with larger families. But they're saying at this stage that the government will recommend that larger family gatherings are unlikely. So we all, we have to wait to see what Micheál Martin is going to say. As I say, the timeline has changed slightly this week and it is, it is now looking like it will be Thursday that we will have the official announcement. Uh, 1850 I'm assuming that very few large turkeys will be ordered this year. I did see a report on the news that it's going to cause a bit of a problem for some of our turkey producers because many families now are going to be looking for smaller turkeys this year rather than the large uh, ones. So there will be, I imagine, a glut of large turkeys that won't go on sale at uh, this year. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 103. Now, pest control experts say there has been a surge in call-outs to deal with rodent and insect infestations and the problem will only get worse as the temperatures fall. Richard Faulkner is advancing Technical Field Consultant with Rentacle. And Richard uh, joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Richard. 
Morning, Patricia. Now, the COVID-19 restrictions, are they having an impact on rodent and insect infestations? Yeah, I, I'd <laughs> say they're, they're having quite a big impact, to be fair. Um, especially because we're all more aware of our environment now. We're all home a lot more than we would be. So people are getting more aware and people are seeing things more and calling us out more. And empty buildings, is that becoming an issue? It's a lot of people working from home and the actual physical building is locked up. Yes, but especially once we start moving back into the workplace and buildings and businesses start um, opening back up, then yet yeah, calls will again increase. Because a, a de- not a derelict, but a, a, a building that's been left empty, a stable environment is going to be nice and quiet, it's going to be nice and secure, and it's going to be a good place if you're a pest to hang out in. And when we talk about rodents, is it mice or are you seeing rats? Rats and mice, both. Oh. So the common rat and, and the house mouse. Yeah. And what when insect infestations, what type are you seeing? Um, so a, a lot of things from textile pests like clothes, masks to store product insects like biscuit beetle and um, scavengers like spider beetle and, and things like silverfish. And also we they're classed in with our insects because they're arthropods, but things like um, millipedes, woodlice, those sort of things as well. And you're not talking about the odd one running across the, the kitchen floor. You're talking about actual <laughs> infestations. Yeah, yeah. And is there anything we can do to stop these pests coming into our homes or businesses? Yeah, so, so, especially when we're looking at rodents or outside environment, if we've got pets and things like that and we feed them outside, make sure after they've been fed and stuff that we're cleaning up after them. But um, we're keeping our gardens and stuff tidy, um, that we're keeping our doors shut when they're not in use and you leave your doors open, especially if you're putting your bins out and things like that. Um, and just checking, making sure there's no gaps around or holes around piping and work and stuff like that that's coming inside. And then inside, it's just really keeping everything tidy, keeping everything clean. And for an insect point of view as well, seeing gaps around skirting boards and, and grouting and that sort of thing. And you fear a cold spell could make this problem worse? Um, well, the, the thing is, because our winters are so much milder, um, insect populations, rodent populations are doing a lot better. Then when it starts to get colder, like we noticed last weekend, it was slightly colder, um, that that can um, cause and prompt our pests to want to come from the outside inside. So, yeah, cold snaps can make a difference. And a mouse can get into the house through the smallest gap, can't they? Yeah, so anything with a circumference, anything bigger than a gap of five millimetres, um, a house mouse or a field mouse will get into. Um, so basically, if you get your pen or a biro through a gap, a mouse will get through that gap. Yeah, and, and just even leaving the back door open, you think, sure, I'm only running out to the bins. I, I'd, see, I'd see something running in, but yeah. you, you wouldn't. No, and it's it's hilarious. I'm probably the person who's most guilty of that when I'm putting the bins out. Right. And like that, I'm I'm terrible for it. Um, but yeah, it's because again, they're going to be opportunistic, and especially if you're away and it's unguarded, it's, it's an easy access in. Okay, a listener wants to know: Can a rat come up a toilet? Um, yes, it is possible. Um, generally, it, it's very unlikely, but it can happen. Yes, especially if the water level in the toilet system, in, in the piping and drainage system has dropped. And then your S-bends and U-bends don't work as well. But that's ve- that's very rare, isn't it? It is very, very rare. It happens occasionally. And um, usually when it does, it, it gets into the news. But um, <coughs> yeah, it can happen.
And what sort of increasing calls are you seeing, say, compared to last year, Richard? Um, so what, what we've seen sort of, and it's really just a, a big boom from last month, we've had um, a 37 increase in general in rodent calls and a 26% in, um, in the insect calls. Um, again, the bigger cities uh, are the ones for the numbers, like Dublin is coming out first at the moment. Um, Cork is then in second place with Kerry slightly behind um, and Kildare again is in fourth and Limerick's in fifth. So it's, it's the bigger bigger cities that are more of an issue or the bigger counties. So is it more urban areas than the rural areas have a problem? Um, again, it, it's going to be differently affected by different things. So in your rural areas, you're probably more likely to get a lot more um, field mouse activity because they're going to follow the natural pattern oh. as they sort of start to come in around September. Um, they usually follow in the harvest, that sort of thing, the end of August through. Um, in city centres, we're not really going to get field mice because it's an urban environment. So in, in those sort of areas, we're more dealing with the common rat and the house mouse. OK, a listener thinks that she has a mouse in her kitchen. Uh, could you ask your expert, please, what's the best type of mouse trap to get? Is it the old traditional one that snaps? Yeah, a traditional snap trap, yeah, would be would definitely be the way forward on that one. Now, um, the big question, what food do you put in? As a, as the... <laughs> Firstly, if you know what your your mouse is feeding, or if it's damaging anything in the, in the kitchen, then I would use what it's eating to put on the trap. Um, if not something, especially this time of year where it's getting a bit colder with high fat content. Um, um, and you know, again, you have to be careful what you put on traps now because um, people have allergies and that sort of thing. So traditionally, a lot of people would use peanut butter. That works quite well, but again, with allergies, it's not great. The chocolate, um, bacon rind, rasher fat, I find very good because you can sort of really tie it on there to tug it. Um, but generally, just look at what the mouse mouse is eating if it's damaging anything. Okay, I mean, I hate the idea of, of a mouse coming into my house, but I hate the idea of the traps as well, I have to say. Is there a humane mouse trap? So the thing with, you can do, you can, get, you can get live catch traps, which then you'll go and release the mouse, but you're going to then take the mouse out of an environment that it's in, especially if it's a house mouse, and if you release it outside away from buildings, it's not going to survive because it lives in and around buildings. And the whole thing with them, because they are vermin, because they're a risk to public health. Um, it's an issue there. But if it's a field mouse, yeah, you could happily catch it and then... Release it, it back into road. the field. And okay. release it back into the field. OK, yeah. could, could you ask your expert, please, uh, about rats digging up bulbs in the garden, especially, especially tulips? Is that common? Sometimes, yes, you'll find that they will because the bulb is where all the food and the energy of the plant is stored. Um, and they will, yeah, they're omnivorous. They pretty much will eat anything especially if it's got a value. And if it's something that's easy and abundant, then, yeah, they will do that. Wow. They're clever enough, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah that, that, that's the thing. They're very intelligent. They're actually a very clean animal by habit as well. It's just unfortunately that we associate them with our sewers and drains, and that's where we find them, and that's where they pick up the pathogens. But like, they spend 20% of their time grooming. Um, they have special toilet areas. They don't go to the toilet when they sleep or eat. So from that point of view, they're quite a clean animal in their habit. What, the, the, the mouses? No, the rat. The rat. They're actually clean. Why do we associate them as being a dirty animal? Because of the diseases and pathogens that they spread. Because, again, especially the common rat, um, which is our main rat species in Ireland, it's associated with drains and sewers. Yeah. And if you think, when we're, when we're ill, we go to the, the bathroom 
and our contaminated waste products go down into the drains and sewers, which is then going to get picked up by them by just generally being down there. Also, food waste and stuff like that that might have high bacterial um, content, again, that's going to get into them and it's going to get to their gut and they're going to spread it passively and aggressively. Yeah, and they've got Wilds disease, isn't that from rats? Oh, yeah, Wilds yeah. disease, yeah. 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 All right, listen, you're always a mind of information, uh, Richard. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Richard Faulkner, who is Advanced Technical Field Consultant with uh, Rent-A-Kill. John in Kildonavie had a mouse in his kitchen. He used a plastic trap and a bit of chocolate. He said, mice don't like cheese. You can also use a bit of a rasher. Are, are instead of the chocolate but it's a, it's a fallacy and an urban myth to believe that uh, mice like cheese. Now a number of uh, comments in about mice and rats when we were talking with Rent-A-Kid in the last hour and how there's been an increase in infestations. Uh, Mavis says years ago the mice chewed the foil off the end of our wine bottles. Listen to your expert this morning who said, look to see what a mice has been feeding on in your kitchen. That's what he suggests putting into the trap. Mavis is saying, would we leave wine out for the mice? <laughs> that was uh, the case. Somebody else, and I agree with this one, says, Patricia, if you have any problem at all with mice in your house or even rats, get one or two cats neutered and uh, they'll do the job for you. Yeah, you're right. If you have a cat in the house, You shouldn't have any problems with mice or any other kind of rodents. Listen to this one from Mary. Patricia, I had a problem with the mouse just last Friday. I came into my kitchen and found myself walking around in cold water. It turned out a mice, a mouse, had chewed a water pipe into my washing machine and the water had been leaking for a few hours. What a mess. Isn't that incredible? I would never have thought that a mouse uh, could do that, but seemingly so. Someone else is saying that the reason that we have a problem with mice and rats in particular, the big problem is badgers used to control them naturally in the environment. But the department killed off all the badgers and because there are not badgers around anymore, that is allowing mice and rats to uh, thrive. And then on getting humane mouse traps, which I kind of like the idea of. I don't know about a humane rat trap, but anyway, there is such a thing as well. And one listener, this is Colette. Colette knows all about it. Says you can trap rats and mice and then you can drive them away from your home and release them back into the into the wild. Colette says they'll be absolutely fine. At the end of the day, they're wild animals. They came in from the wild. So when they're outside, they'll be fine. Fine, ideally, leave them off somewhere near a barn. And hi, Patricia. The mice that I had actually liked cheese and I caught a few in my garage by using cheese. But they say that mice prefer chocolate. It's something to do with the smell from the chocolate chip. I wonder if you could use some very smelly cheese as well. Uh, Would that work? 1850-333-103. Okay, and then on easing of restrictions and what's happening and when is it going to happen and when are we going to hear, which is the big question. Dean Goleen. Hi, Patricia. All this talk of easing restrictions and allowing small groups to meet up. Is the virus going to go on its Christmas holidays and then come back to us in the new year? I think not. No, it's here and it's real. And I personally don't think there should be any easing of restrictions. My parents are in their 80s and they live in the United Kingdom and we haven't seen them since December of last year. As much as I would love to see them, I won't risk taking the virus over and that's from D in Goline and well done well done D because there's a lot of people 
in that dilemma at the moment of Christmas and going home for Christmas and travelling somewhere for Christmas or having people from overseas travel home. You know, traditionally the airports and the ports in this country are bursting to capacity on Easter week and we all I always love to see the new when they when the news the different um, TV companies send out their news teams to the airport and we have the welcoming homes and the tears of utter joy when loved ones are returning and there's always great stories. I haven't seen them since last Christmas or they haven't been home for a couple of years and, and there might be somebody coming back from Australia and they're bringing a baby back and we've never seen the baby. The baby was born during the year and there's these wonderful, wonderful scenes at Christmas and we're certainly not going to see those kind of scenes. Will there be some of them? There will. Some families are saying that they're not going to abide by the restrictions and the rules and the regulations and some people are going to book flights. I don't think there's going to be as many flights as we've had on uh, previous years. But then others are saying are going on the line of D and just afraid to take the risk. And I can see where you're coming from, uh, D. you know, particularly when your parents are in their 80s. How would you forgive yourself if you travelled to be with them for Christmas and somewhere along the line you travelled and you had COVID-19 without realising it or you picked it up on the journey over and then while there you end up being COVID positive and you pass it on to your parents you would just never ever forgive yourself. So I can see why you're making the decision and it's a tough decision and obviously from that text you always you always go and you're with them at Christmas so I can understand you know why and how it's it's a very tough decision for you but you know hand on heart are you are you doing the right thing yeah I I really I really think you are but it's it's individual choices isn't it for everybody to decide whether they are going to make that journey they're going to go and visit loved ones or whether they're going to say no the virus is not going away it's it's still around and do you run the risk of picking it up while you're travelling so yeah I, I, I hear where you're coming from Dee I really do happy Christmas to you uh, John from Mallow says why do we have to wait until the end of the week for the announcements to be made by the government on the lifting of restrictions because at this stage they must have an idea on exactly what they're going to decide plus the sooner they make the announcement it brings more certainty to the business community and indeed to the wider community at large why do we have to wait until the end of the week and I'm I hear you, John, and I'm certainly with you on this one. They'll say they're waiting for Neffet. They'll say, and and remember, Neffet were not meant to give the recommendation until Thursday, but have asked Neffet now to meet Wednesday instead so that they can make the decision a day earlier, even though some are speculating it's because they don't interrupt the toy show. But yeah, I mean, if they have a rough idea, I mean, certainly read any of the papers and it'll be interesting when they do make the announcement how accurate are all of the reports that we're hearing and sources that have been leaked out from the government. We nearly know for sure what's going to happen, what's going to open. But I do think you're right for the business communities. It's really, really difficult for businesses who are waiting. They don't want to order in stock until they know for sure that they're going to be allowed to open. But I, so, so I do think that they need to get as big a lead in as possible and even for the wider community to let people know rather than say shop online and send your money overseas if you know for sure that a local shop for example is going to open maybe a toy shop is going to be open on next Monday morning and you're going will I buy it online 
or no I'll wait because the toy shop's got so you know you can head to the toy shop on Monday just to have that kind of certainty I'd, I'd agree with you John I think they should be doing it sooner rather than later Tim also isn't happy with the government are the so-called experts particularly on the piece that I mentioned where it is expected that we will be told we'll be allowed to visit families not large gatherings but we'll be told we'll be allowed to visit but no hugging of relatives unless it's in your immediate family the people you live with you're not to hug a relative Tim is not happy with that. No hugging of family members yet. Tony Houlihan had no problem yesterday with teams hugging each other after they won big matches and celebrating. No wonder there's so much confusion with all of these double standards, says Tim. And Tim is talking about Tony Houlihan yesterday, came out actually. He was asked about what had happened at the matches at the weekend and the celebrations that were witnessed both on the pitch afterwards and then when they went back to their native counties there was a bit of celebration uh, went on and he was asked about that at the weekend and he said teams that win tight matches tend to celebrate. He added that we have tipped too much into the blame game and the nearest lamppost to hang that person from. He said we have to have tolerance when there was a high level of behaviour expected of uh, people. So he's saying that he wants to end the blame game. But I think, Tim, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. So if we want to end the blame game, and I think he's right, there's no point, point. nobody deliberately goes out to get COVID-19 unless you're utterly stupid. So we do have to end at the blame game so I can see where he's coming from but I also see the point you're making Tim if he's saying actually they were just celebrating it was okay to hug each other well if a family are just celebrating Christmas and perhaps they haven't seen Granny for a long time are they not celebrating the fact that they're together for Christmas and would a quick hug how wrong would a quick hug be but it seems we'll wait and see but it's expected it's expected that that's what the messaging is going to be no hugging at uh, Christmas unless it's the people that you live with. And here's an interesting one from a no name on this text. No, hi Patricia. Something that might be of interest to your listener. Listeners. Uh, My husband works abroad. He tested positive for COVID-19 on the 17th of October and he's been in quarantine since then. Due to his company policy, he needs a negative test result in order to return to work. So that's got me thinking. If he is still testing positive due to regular retesting, is it the case here that people are going back into the community after 14 days still positive? We don't have to retest after 14 days in this country. Who knows if they're still contagious or infectious kind of regards. And by the way, he has no symptoms. So he's long gone past having symptoms, but it keeps getting retested because the company's saying, you're not coming back into the building until you have a negative result. But with all the retesting, he's still getting positive tests, even though he is feeling absolutely fine. So I did a quick, just on the research, there's so much research out about, you know, how long are you infectious? Like they say, for example, that the infectious period can start one to three days before you develop symptoms. Hence, that's one of the reasons why they say to people when you don't be out and about and keep the two metres away because you could have COVID-19, have absolutely no symptoms and then three days time you start to show symptoms. But so you've been with for the last three days, you could have been spreading it. So you can start being infectious one to three days. The most infectious period is thought to be one to three days before symptoms start and then the first seven days after symptoms begin. But... 
For some people, the experts say the infectious period could be longer. And then the, it, but it usually lasts nine to 10 days from when you start symptoms. And that's where the 14 days come into it. And then you should be OK. But on that question, when are you no longer infectious. If someone has been symptom free for three days as this lady's husband has because he's absolutely no symptoms. Um, so symptom free for three days uh, and you develop your first symptom more than 10 days prior then you're considered no longer considered to be infectious but they say they are the experts are aware that people are infectious even after they've recovered and the virus can still be detected in their bodies so while this gentleman is still getting the virus detected technically then he is still infectious but the the listener is right we don't test in the community And a lot of other countries, by the way, don't test in the community. I know one of the reasons that they don't test in the community after you've had a positive test, once you've done your 14 days, was to do at the time of the global shortage. And I don't don't know if there's still a global shortage of the coronavirus tests and they were trying to keep it for people who were newly diagnosed. I don't know if that is still uh, the case or not. But we certainly don't test, you are right, but for the majority of people, I suppose, for the majority of people, when you get to the 10 days more than likely the virus is not going to be detected if you were tested again. Your husband is just being, uh, it's been a little bit unfortunate. And I think it, it also depends the longer the virus stays in your system. I remember reading a while ago is to do with the amount of virus you actually got at the start that, you know, the virus overload. Some people get a lot more of the virus than, than others. I hope that your husband quickly uh, recovers, makes the full recovery, even though he seems having no symptoms, he's fine. But you are right there, obviously going on that and going what your husband is going through. There have been there there must be people in this country who have tested positive did their 14 days were fine went back to work and were obviously could obviously still have been still uh, contagious 1850 Hi Patricia what about funerals when will funerals go back to normal it needs to be I was watching a mass for a funeral online and it was absolutely heartbreaking said this listener it's a disgrace what this government has done it actually broke my heart to see this man's wife waving him goodbye at a crematorium and just a couple of people uh, present when are they going to lift restrictions on funerals they're not I, I could absolutely guarantee we're not going to see an increase in number of funerals and I think one of the reasons for it uh, Dr Tony Houlihan from Neffet will tell you when they were looking back at where the new outbreaks had come from and a lot of them of course lately have been inside in people's homes but one of the areas that they mentioned was funerals was gatherings not the funeral itself not the church not the cremation because obviously churches are being quite strict on the numbers they can allow in and crematoriums and cemeteries are the same but it's the gathering back at the houses afterwards people are not sticking to not having a wake or not having the family back after a funeral and there has been a number of outbreaks all over the country that have been directly linked to funerals so I think based on that information alone I can't see a change where are we at we're at 25 people now can attend but I certainly can't see that one changing but who knows we wait and see what announcement is made later on this uh, week in Mavis said in a way the possible restrictions at Christmas may take the pressure off some family members who always feel obliged say to go to a parent's house or to go to in-laws houses or have relatives over for the day so some people might be sitting quite smugly and will be delighted with the news that there'll be no large family gatherings this year however says Mavis uh, it is always going to be difficult particularly for those who live on 
on their own and people who maybe who traditionally always went somewhere. Well, that's one of the reasons that they will be allowing family gatherings is to make sure that people are living on their own who normally go to visit a relative or a friend at Christmas that they still will be allowed to do it. But I think you're right on the start of your text. There will be people who will be delighted at the idea that they don't have to host a big family gathering. Certainly every year we would hear from people normally coming up to Christmas. Joe Heffernan does a piece about how to survive Christmas with the in-laws and the outlaws and we will inevitably get messages in from people to say Christmas, not one of my favourite times because I'm expected to host this big large family gathering every year and sometimes it can fall on the same household every year and people are just not happy about it. So there will be some people who will be sitting there with glee saying, delighted that I'm going to have a quiet Christmas uh, this year. And John in East Cork says, Patricia, I've been listening to all commentators, including your good self over the last number of weeks. All the comments are to do with opening up everything for Christmas retail, the gyms, the hairdressers, the barbers, but very little comment has been made about the real meaning of Christmas and the opening of churches. Everybody's talking about celebrating Christmas in pubs or celebrating Christmas in restaurants. Why? What we should be talking about is celebrating the birth of Jesus. P.S. I'm not over religious person. Happy Christmas to everybody. Keep up the good work. That's from John in uh, East Cork. And so much focus has gone on the commercial side of Christmas. I think John uh, is right. In my own defence and in the programme's defence, we have over the weeks done a number of interviews with various priests checking in to see how they're getting on and also to see how they're coping with the various restrictions that have been in place. And we certainly had that group that came on. Do you remember they did the online petition, that lady who set it up when we went into level five, who was very upset about the fact that they couldn't go to mass when the churches were closed except for private prayer and there was an online. And we did a couple of interviews actually about that, about that online petition calling on the church calling on not the church calling on the government in effort to change their minds it didn't get anywhere it, it fell on uh, deaf ears but John is right if you the majority of the commentary is to do with the commercial side of Christmas not what Christmas should be all about and the true meaning of uh, Christmas and on the size of turkeys when I this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So there'll be very few people looking for large turkeys this year. Liz reckons that turkeys, they could be dirt cheap this Christmas. 1850-333-103. C103 Jobs. A staff nurse is wanted for Glendonough Nursing Home while a front of house supervisor slash manager is required for a Mallow restaurant. A supervisor wanted for a busy production facility that's in Skibbereen and a care assistant is required for North Cork and West Limerick areas. The experience of working with children and adults with intellectual disabilities who may have challenging behaviour would be an advantage. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 Now, Cork County Council yesterday passed the council's budget for 2021, totalling €348 million. Euro, and that's actually an increase of ten million over last year. Joining me with his thoughts on this year's budget. I'm joined by North Cork uh, Councillor John Paul O'Shea. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, Mr. Good morning, uh, listeners. And you're welcome. Now a few weeks ago it was looking like the council was going to have to face a huge deficit. I'm sure I read somewhere it was something like nineteen million euro but the government has had, had to step in. Isn't that the case? That's correct, Patricia. I suppose um, Cork County Council has been to the cold face, really, of dealing with um, uh, COVID-19 since its inception on the 12th of March. As you know, uh, we led out in the COVID response, um, you know, as part of the, the, the national response to responding to COVID. And the local authority has been very involved uh, in that since the outset. And I suppose we haven't had um, any state funding for that. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned on your own programme the number of different different, um, I suppose, interactions that would have had uh, with people due to COVID. We would have delivered uh, Meals on Wheels, helped out the Meals on Wheels service. We would have delivered medication and essentials uh, to all the households. Uh, during it it was time. brilliant. I mean, the councils, um, I know it was all over the country, but they were, they, you were a lifeline to many people. And it's fair to think it's the first time the national government has actually responded so well to local government, Patricia, and depends on local government to deliver services such as that. Yeah. And one of the items that really um, was to the fore in Cork County was our library service, um, which you mentioned on your own programme several times, where we offered a, a door-to-door service for the li- for the, our library service for our people of County Cork uh, during that time. So I suppose we were in the cold face in delivering and responding to COVID um, since March, and I suppose that has had its toll on our budget. We did create Project Act as well, which a number of uh, your listeners will be aware of, a number of events and, um, you know, uh, changes to our town administration that took place during the year. And a lot of that was done out of our own budget. So I suppose we have been liaising with central budget, like all of the local authorities, and thankfully uh, the 19.1 million euro deficit uh, has now been reduced to 4.8 million euro And there was, and there was, there was also, I'm assuming, an, a substantial income loss. There was indeed, but I suppose, like, um, from an income side of things, our main income from Carcone Council, we have three main income. Uh, one is rates, uh, which was, um, you know, a total disaster for, for 2020. But thankfully, the government has come in and um, has given a rates waiver to all businesses uh, affected by COVID from March uh, to the end of the year. And they are paying the local authority full on that basis. 
um, which is fantastic. I think our other income is the local property tax and our third income is grants from government. Uh, so weighing up all those three incomes, um, you know, we've come up with a budget which was passed unanimously in Cork County Council yesterday and I think it's one of the first uh, budgets that was passed unanimously since I joined 11 years ago, Patricia. Okay. It just goes to show that they're across the political spectrum and that there was a, a good uh, discussion took place in the last number of weeks. I think we started this budget discussion back in the middle of September. And I think all parties came to the fore and um, provided what is the substantial budget of €348 million Euro for car uh, It's, a, it's, it's an incredible sum for the, the times in, in which we live. And the, the 2.5%, I mean, nobody likes to pay anything extra. The 2.5% increase in the local property tax. There's an understanding now why that was needed to be voted through. That really will help. Absolutely, Patricia, and uh, it was I that proposed that as part of the Fianna Gael Party submission. And as a result of that, now we have got a clear commitment yesterday, which was proposed and adopted yesterday at yesterday's full council meeting, was that we would ring fence three and a half million euros to support our communities during 2021. That is a maintenance of two million euros of a community fund, which goes to our community councils or development associations or tidy towns, because regardless of COVID, they've been out in their individual groups and uh, individuals themselves and doing their very best for their for their community during COVID and we see like that is it, it is the time now to continue to support those um, during 2021 so our uh, whole basis of increasing the property tax of 2.5% which is just a couple of euros per house um, you know goes to ensure that those community groups will not be left wanting uh, during 2021 Okay uh, there has been you, you have introduced some New charges or increases in charges. They, did I see the civic community site? Yes, Patricia. Well, we haven't actually introduced that yet. There's a, there's a review going on um, and this is going to be completed in the first two months of 2021. Um, unfortunately, I suppose our civic community sites are losing money and I suppose it's, it's a sign of the times, I suppose, where I suppose when people come to our civic community sites and dispose of their recycling, be it cardboard or bottles of glass or timber or uh, metal, etc., that car County Council has a duty to, I suppose, dispose of that correctly. And uh, unfortunately, I suppose it has been costing more to do with that. And what we've seen during COVID, because a lot of them are opened during COVID, if we, if we, we have seen people uh, coming less, but the car is, is more fuller the next time it comes. So people are being more conscious of the fact that, I suppose, they're not, they're not going as often as they uh, were. Um, but now they're coming and they're still paying the three euro entry fee, um, but they have a car load with them uh, this time around. And that's great. And we, 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 we appreciate that. And we look forward to people continuing to use that service. Um, but I suppose we must review that on the business type model to make sure that I suppose we don't uh, lose money. We don't want to make any money out of the civic community sites, but we want to make sure that they're paying for themselves. And though, unfortunately, it was a 900,000 euro shortfall uh, in 2020, um, Patricia, that we need to make up. Um, so we're doing a review of the civic community sites. It was proposed to increase the, the gate charge from three euros to four euros, but that has been deferred. Uh, until the review is complete and we we will be reviewing the charges for inside in terms of say disposing of uh, green waste and say uh, bulky materials etc like that. And what's the uh, charge on council tenants who have a heating boiler? They'll pay extra rent per week. Yes well I suppose Patricia this has been discussed at several lengths um, you know um, Cork County Council tenants don't pay any local property tax because they're not the owners of the property so Cork County Council has to pay that property tax on an annual basis. 
Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, unfortunately, I suppose, unfortunately, they haven't been hit um, by the local property tax increase. Um, and there's a requirement in us to ensure that our boilers are maintained on the annual basis. And I suppose it's an annual cost of €650,000 um, to Cork County Council to ensure that that is the case. So we said that it would be appropriate to add, um, you know, on average €2 um, you know, to the um, to the uh, household per week to ensure that the, the boiler would be maintained going forward. Now, I suppose a, no, a number of discussions was held out of that, I suppose, and I suppose it's, it depends on the income in, in, of each household as well, and we're very conscious that you might have a, an elderly um, pensioner living alone in, in one house, and two years a week might be very expensive on that person. Or, or, or alternatively, you might have a family that are fully working inside in the house and that they would have uh, an opportunity to pay higher. So what we're doing is we're reviewing that and we're going to, do, um, I suppose, uh, put it on an equity basis and make sure that the the, 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 the people that can pay uh, the most will pay the most during 2021. All right, so it's not expected to be across the board. OK. All right, all right. Would, would you say that it's been probably one of the most difficult um, budgets in, 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 uh, even though it was great that it's unanimous, but probably one of the most trickiest for the executive to put together. It is indeed, Patricia. And like, I mean, I want to compliment the executive for working with us all as councillors over the last number of weeks to to bring it to this fruition. But like, I mean, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that, I mean, um, we're budgeting for 2021 based on the four points. We're using 4.3 million euro of our reserves. When I started the council, um, we had 13 and a half million euro of reserves. We're now down to seven. So we're utilising our reserves every single year to continue our services uh, to the good people of County Cork. And I think, like, you know, we are to the stretch to our limit uh, to maintain these services and we will do everything possible to make sure uh, we do make, uh, I suppose, every opportunity uh, to make it as, as best we can for the people during 2021. But it's a really difficult process and uh, we hope that we'll be able to continue to support our communities um, you know, in 2021 and going forward as well. Are you still holding council meetings in the city or has it been done on Zoom? Well, most of them are, are being done remotely now, uh, Patricia. We did meet yesterday in full because I think uh, our annual budget is the most important meeting of the year and we expect everybody to be present and, and to vote um, because there is a vote on the annual rate, for example, which did yeah. move yesterday for we, we kept the rate at the same uh, level. There's a vote on the budget. So we, we, we the mayor, in fairness, uh, Councillor Mary Lynn Foley, asked everybody to attend, but we have all been uh, set up to do remote meetings now and every meeting will be remote. Uh, from now on until there's a change in the circumstances. And are they working well? Are they working okay? They've been working very well. We've been working on them about six weeks now and uh, in fairness to this council and to the the, the team in corporate affairs, they've they've done it very well and the minister has um, changed the the ministerial order now so council meetings all across the country can be held remotely and a vote of the council can be held remotely as well now and can be uh, taken as statute. Okay, which has uh, obviously led a listener to say, what about uh, council expenses? Are you still being paid expenses, particularly if you're working remotely? Well, uh, we don't get paid. So we get we get paid uh, travel and remuneration every year, uh, Patricia, and that's based on the monthly uh, income uh, that we get. So we don't get a salary. We just get... Um, that's a flat rate. It doesn't matter. It's a flat rate. Yeah, yeah, you don't apply for expenses like Ex- the TDs do. Exactly. So okay. 
that doesn't come into account for ourselves. Okay. All right. Listen, John Paul, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And in case we don't speak before Christmas, have a good one. And many happy returns. And uh, thanks for joining us. Good morning to you. That is uh, Fina Gale, North Cork Councillor John Paul O'Shea. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, last year I spoke with my next guests who had just published a children's book on cyber safety which was beautifully illustrated for children and also contained help and advice for parents and teachers. Continuing in the children's safety series, two new books are going on sale this year and to find out more I'm joined by Marek Stepatovsky who is the Managing Director of Health and Safety Publications and in just a minute I'll speak with Anne Lenham who is an educational child psychologist who has written the book Good morning to you, Marek. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, you're very welcome once again to the programme. Last time we were able to have you in studio, but unfortunately, with all of the restrictions, we have to do it over the phone. But anyway, once again, another stunning publication, uh, Marek. And you've, certainly keeping up with the times, Flu and the Germs. Thank you so much. Um, Yes, but funny enough, uh, the book was in development before COVID-19. Uh, we thought uh, we'll keep it general as we kind of intended to teach children about um, hygiene, let's say, hand washing. Um, COVID happened in the meantime. Isn't that, because it literally, when I was when I was reading through it, I was thinking, oh yeah, this is definitely, even though COVID isn't, isn't mentioned, because you go through, you know, quite detailed, the correct way to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. We didn't want it to make it COVID-specific. I think children have enough uh, of COVID in school and everywhere else. And I think the, the rules of washing hands are, are so general. Whether COVID stays with, with us or goes, it's still useful um, information. We didn't want to make it uh, COVID-specific. Yeah. I, I think yeah. the rules apply outside of COVID as well. Well, it does because, you know, you talk about sneezing and, you know, what to do to sneeze and it's 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 fantastic. And then the second one is how to deal with a medical emergency. They're all, by the way, they're in the Sam and Sue vein. It's Sam and Sue call 112 and it's Grandad's Medical Emergency. Tell us about this. Again, uh, as you remember from last year, we are trying to uh, equip children with a little bit of information that can save lives, actually. So in this one, uh, Grandad has a... Uh, has a medical issue, and luckily children know what to do. And this is the information we want to make sure children get from our books. As, as small as three years old, we'd love, to, we'd love children to be able to act as they should in case of emergency. And, uh, you know, a simple one like teach children how to dial 112. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer really, but you, you wonder how many of us have done that with young children. If if all they get from the book is ring one one two and know your air code, yeah. you're winning. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic, and they are, they're once again beautifully illustrated. Uh, Marek, who's your illustrator? Well, I went through about five hundred portfolios. <laughs> uh, while I I swear to God, I'm not joking now. About five hundred portfolios preparing to it. It took about a month and a half. I found the girl in Poland. It's the uh, same girl who did the the first one. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's just gifted. Uh, she really, she really is. Um, I'll talk to you in a moment about where they're on sale. But I know you've got Anne Lenahan there, the child psychologist. If you just put Anne on for a moment, Marek, and I'll be back to you then again at the end. 
Of course, thank you. Okay, here is uh, Anne, who is responsible for Good. writing the book. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, thank you very much for having well, us on. Well, you're very welcome because these are excellent books and they're just so important to get the, the messages that's contained in these books. It's so important to get that message out to thank people. Thank you so much. When you sit down to write these books, Anne, what age group do you pitch them at? And what age group have you in mind? Well, I suppose really from preschoolers upwards, really. Um, the preschoolers will be very much able to take the story on board. But because we have included tips for parents and tips for teachers, it's suitable for even older age groups, 8 to 12, if you want to carry on the conversation and to make it more advanced for the child. Um, particularly if you think about the cyber safety one, it's a, a basic, simple, important message in that. But if you want to take that as kind of a springboard or a platform where you could expand the conversation for older children, it's very easy to do that. And children, particularly young children, and pick up a message easier when it's in book form, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And while we've done an awful lot of research in these books, we've consulted with the experts in terms of medical experts and the ambulance service, the fire service, the Gardaí for each of our books. We've really gone out of our way to make them child-friendly and attractive. And while the core message is there, we want to make it engaging and understandable for children. And that's, I think, where the illustrations really totally bring it to life. And it's written in a way that is meant to be really, really comprehensible for children, you know, that they're going to understand it and learn from it. Yeah, and they certainly, the message certainly gets across uh, in these books. Do you work with the illustrator or how does that work, Anne? Well, basically, um, when we would come up with the story, the plot for the story, um, I would write the text for it and I would put a little note for the illustrator then outlining what the illustration would look like. But to be very honest with you, when those illustrations come back, they go far beyond my wildest imagination. You know, she really, really is so talented. They they spring off the page. They it's, totally do. They really you know, it, it's times like this, I wish I was on TV so people could see it. <laughs> They're <laughs> just, you. they're the most incredible illustrations. They, they really are. And the detail in them is, 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 is really fantastic. What kind of reaction did you get to the, the first one, Sam and Sue learn about, learns about cyber safety, which, by the way, is still on sale as well, isn't it? Yes, it yeah. is indeed. We got a great reaction and um, particularly teachers really loved it. People in that area, um, children themselves loved it. I mean, one of the, the great joys for me was on national or international book day, two local girls came into school and dressed up as Sam and Sue when I got a message oh. that morning with a picture of them. And I thought, oh, my God, like this, this imagine, you know, these imaginary people from, from my imagination were suddenly walking into school, which was absolutely crazy. But the local bookshops have been fantastic. Phillips and Mallow, Wordsworth and Mill Street, you know, they've all been really um, helpful in promoting it and very, very supportive of us. And, of course, they're all available on the website as well. So, Brilliant. you know, we're very pleased, but, you know, We'd love to see them out there a little bit more and more people, particularly before Christmas. You know, they're great stocking fillers. They are, they are indeed. You know, yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned, you are, you are a child psychologist and Marek was saying in the one Sam and Sue learn about flu and the germs, like COVID mm-hmm. isn't mentioned, even though when you're looking through it, it could be all about oh, COVID. Totally, yeah. Children and, and, and young children can be very concerned about what's going on. The world is a scary place at the moment, absolutely, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. There is... 
obviously a lot of anxiety around it, as there should be. We all need to be so careful and so cautious. But I think we kind of felt that, apart from the fact that this book was kind of in development before COVID, we kind of felt, look, the real strong um, kind of scary messages out there for them. They're getting that all the time. So we wanted to make Sam and Sue just a little bit more, a bit of a softer approach, child-friendly characters they could identify with. And the cartoons, I mean, you see yourselves, the little germs there, they're ugly, cute creatures. You know, it's just making it a little bit more um, understandable for them, you know, that it's not Because I, 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 I remember in the very early days, probably during the beginning of, or the, as we were heading into the first lockdown and during the first lockdown, I remember one mother contacted us and her seven or eight year old daughter was just becoming obsessed with coronavirus to the point that they herself and her husband made the decision that they wouldn't watch the news on the TV. Mm -hmm. Was was that the right thing to do? They just said they they had to try to, she was obsessed with, what are the numbers today? What are the numbers today? Yes. Uh, they They switched it off when she came into the room. Yeah, I, I do think you have to limit it and you have to ration it because we're, we're in such an instant world now with all stats, facts, figures, they're immediately coming at us 24 hours a day and you need to return a little bit to, you know, fun, relaxation, escape from this. Children are going to get the message anyway, so we need to really try and make the world a little bit softer and more secure for them as well. Okay, and your your hand washing skills in this book and tips are fantastic. You <laughs> even you even use the singing it to that the theme of Happy Birthday. Yeah, absolutely, everything is in there. Everything it's brilliant. There. It's brilliant. Congratulations, and they're f- once again fantastic books. Oh, thank just you so much. Pass this back on to Marek There, just Lovely. for thank for, you so much, Patricia. Bye, bye, Anne. Thank you for that. That's Anne Lenahan, the child psychologist who's written these series of Sam and Sue books. And Marek, where are the books now on sale? Well, at the moment, uh, well, first of all, they are in the printing house. Um, OK. So they, they'll be out this week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, we, we believe. OK. And uh, they will be ins- instantly available in uh, Wordsworth, in Mill Street and um, uh, Philip Bookstore in Mallow. Okay. And, uh, and then for people outside of those areas, you uh, online? Online on uh, samandsue.com. Samandsue.com. And how much are the books retailing at? Uh, they are seven ninety nine, um single single buy, let's okay. say. And then um, people can purchase a, a pack of three for nineteen ninety nine. Well, that's good value. And when you see, when people see the books, they're just, they're incredible. So it's Sam and Sue Learn About Cyber Safety. That's book number one, followed up this year by Sam and Sue Learn About Flu and Germs and Sam and Sue Call 112. Uh, they are, they're, they're terrific, uh, Marek. Well done once again on uh, two more incredible books. Thank you so much for f- positive feedback. Okay. All right. Yeah. And how's how has the year been for you? Uh, sure. I don't want to be a doom and gloom. It's, it's been tough. It's been tough. But we are adjusting to new situation, I suppose. We are trying to uh, diversify as much as we can. And, and uh, the show is still on. Yeah. It's just to keep going, isn't it? It's just to keep going. Well, good luck with these uh, books. And, and Anne was saying the, the first book went well last year, the Cyber Safety one. It did. It did. However, unfortunately, the COVID hit, yeah. and um, the foot footfall in in bookstores 
dropped and a number of them stopped uh, stocking or or taking new new books uh, so I suppose they are struggling as well. Yeah, um, they are indeed. But hopefully retail will be back back up and running next Monday. And these are the type of books when you see them on the bookshelf, they'll just jump out at, at you. So uh, hopefully people will, will get to see them. Listen, Marek, uh, thanks as always and um, good luck with the books. Thank you much. Appreciate Thanks it. for joining us. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye. That is Marek Health and Safety Publications. And once again, if you want to buy them online, samandsue.com. They really are terrific. And they just pack. It's a great message. A great, great messages out of all of the books. And uh, for children, I love to give the gift of books. There's something very wonderful about giving the gift of a book to a child and to instill that love of reading but at the same time getting a message across a safety message across uh, through uh, to them 1850 333103 Bernie's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 I know a lot of commentary a lot of texts coming into the programme before I get to that can I just go to some emails and letters we love our handwritten letters into the programme this in from Tom who lives in Connacht Avenue in the city so is in an area where there would be students uh, living and it's to do with the numbers who are gathering on our city streets at the weekends. Dear Patricia, the large numbers of people gathering in different parts of Cork City over the last number of weekends with drink in hand, with no concern for the welfare of others, raises serious issues with regard to law and order, allied to the fact that we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Our love affair with booze in this country is frightening and the grief it causes in so many households. We can't stop the sale of alcohol, but we seriously need to look at the sale of alcohol in supermarkets and in off-licences. At least two off-licences in the vicinity where I live actually have signs up saying, please respect locals and drink sensibly. It's actually highly insulting to people who live in the region, as profit seems to be the main objective. We had virtual freshers week this year in late September. We It meant large numbers of Gardaí were in attendance in our area. Basically it was a booze fest with the two figures given to local residents by the little darling students who are only passing through and are allowed to dictate to us who are the long term residents of this area. You couldn't script it. It is time we had proper law and proper law enforcement in this country country. The house parties, by the way, have not gone away. The large numbers of people who are misbehaving during this pandemic are paying no price for their actions. And many of these are the college students. Can we actually trust the third level institutions when they talk about suspensions and when they talk about uh, expulsions for the misbehaving students, particularly during the uh, pandemic? And I don't know. Thank you for that, Tom. I don't know if anybody in any of the third level colleges have actually been suspended or was there any expulsions I know I read a report from Queen's University in Belfast and they had issued a number of fines and had suspended a number of students who breached any of their Covid guidelines I don't know if it's the same uh, down the south or not. If you can take any comfort Tom from the fact that I read in the papers today that additional Gardaí are to be deployed in Cork City again this weekend and it's to urge people not to gather in groups in order to try to contain the spread of Covid-19 we know that nine people were arrested in Cork City last weekend 
with what got to me was the reports of a carnival atmosphere, large crowds gathered in the city and that's despite the fact that we have level five restrictions. So Chief Superintendent Barry McPolan said additional Gardaí will be deployed this coming weekend as part of their policing plan. He did say that last weekend they had increased patrols and engagement, particularly in relation to large group gathering in open spaces and they say that this weekend will be the same. He says as we approach the festive season the temptation to meet up with friends and family outside of your bubble will increase. He said we are all finding it difficult but we must all do our bit. He said please do not gather in groups. We must limit our contact with each other to stop the spread of coronavirus. Now Gardaí from several units were deployed last in last weekend's policing plan and they'll be deployed again this weekend. Both uniformed Plainclothes Gardaí patrolled the city on foot, on mountain bikes and in vehicles last weekend. Despite large crowds in the city centre, Gardaí reported that the majority of people were compliant and they followed their direction and advice. So when they were told to move on, uh, they did. I don't know if Tom is going to take any comfort from knowing there will be more Gardaí. It's just such a, it's, it's a waste of resources as well, isn't it? To having to send the Gardaí out, getting people to move along. Please, nothing to see here. Please don't be drinking. Would you ever just uh, go home to your beds? Just seems such a waste of money. Anyway, and this is from Imelda, who has emailed Patricia at c103.ie and says, Hi Patricia, I've been listening all week about people and their worries about shopping for Christmas and where are you going to get items? What are you going to get for people, uh, etc. Well, instead of a tangible gift wrapped in colourful paper this year, people could make a donation to the numerous charities that are crying out for money, especially this year. It's very easy to accomplish. You send a card to your loved one and you put in a little note saying you've made a donation to, and you name the charity, like I've made a donation to St Vincent de Paul, I've made a donation to Cork Penny Dinners and I've done it in your name. It will solve everybody's Christmas gift giving dilemmas and it will help charities at the same time. My sister and I have done this for many years and we're both happy that our money has been put to good use. We all have plenty and as Mother Teresa often said, it is in giving that we receive and that's signed Imelda. That's a lovely, lovely thing to do. And I think this year, more than ever, it's a particularly nice thing to do because charities all over the country and all over the world, their fundraising dried up and there are families really, really struggling. So if you're there scratching your head, trying to think of something to give to a loved one, maybe you might consider that, giving them a donation in the person's name and then just write in the cards. If you want to say how much you gave, if you want to say, you know, or you don't even have to say the amount, but you can just say in your name, I made a donation to the local hospice group or to the local Mies on Wheels, whatever it was. Uh, well done, uh, Imelda. Good, a good suggestion. Can we wish you happy and a peaceful uh, Christmas? And then I've had a note in from E. Terence and Sons there, the Skoda dealers in Bantir. They're hoping to give back to people in need this Christmas. And they are holding a collection for Edel House and the Good Shepherd in uh, Cork. And of course, Edel House, Good Shepherd in Cork support women, children and families who are homeless or or vulnerable to homelessness. So they are having a collection point in their showroom in Bantir and all donations will be delivered to Cork in early December. Now, due to the COVID-19 situation, only new items can be accepted. And they've sent me on a Christmas wish list of items 
funds that might be suitable for donation. They say it's a very worthwhile charity and if you can donate in any way, please do. So if you're in and around E. Tarrington Sons in Bantir, you might like to give some donations. And the good they have at the Good Shepherd, what they're calling the Good Shepherd Wish uh, List. I mean, they suggest things like gift sets suitable for all ages, uh, makeup sets for teenage girls, PJs, again, suitable for children and male boys and girls, socks and underwear, all ages, coats, hats and scarves, toiletries and towels. Now, they've suggested you could donate single and double duvet sets. Obviously, they've got to be new cot sheets for the little babies, colouring books and pencils, toys suitable for all ages. Again, they've got to be new if you want to give selection boxes, food hampers. And they've also said you, if you can't make up your mind what you'd like to give, but you'd like to make a donation, you can drop a voucher and they're also taking, they're taking cash donations as well. They are. Okay. And that's for E. Tarrington Sons, uh, Skoda dealers in Bantir. They're collecting the collection point is open now in their showroom but you need to get working on that because they want to get it to Edel House in plenty of time for Christmas so they will deliver it up in early December. Well done uh, to everybody at eTarrant for that. Okay, some of your Texts coming into the programme uh, today. Sheila says, Patricia, I know Christmas is a time for religion and the birth of Jesus, but it's nice to be out and about as well and wishing people a happy Christmas and just soaking up the festivist atmosphere. Sheila says, I remember I went to the city one day last year, went on my own and the bus driver was so nice. He was actually dressed up as Santa Claus. Walked around the city, I was enjoying all the singing that was on the streets and I ended up teaming up with a couple and had tea with them. And uh, they had a little girl with them and it was just such a lovely, lovely day says uh, Sheila and I suppose is wondering and thinking will she be doing something similar today to, to this year and probably not you certainly won't be encouraged to meet up with a couple who you don't know unfortunately and we are social creatures and what a lovely thing to do and how nice of that couple to include you in their afternoon tea or whatever it was but unfortunately there's a pandemic going on Sheila but please God this time next year you'll be able to recreate that memory and do it all over again and when we're talking about Christmas and celebrating and Christmas is all about um, when I was saying we tried to give as much balance and we did we have done pieces on the programme about the fact that the churches are closed somebody was saying we're focused too much on the commercial side of Christmas because you do give good balance on the radio thank you but society is mostly lacking and as your listener pointed out it's all about what people can buy and where people can go this Christmas and how people will celebrate big time at Christmas. But if you ask any of them what exactly they're celebrating, many of them will hardly be able to tell you what it is actually all about. Uh, 1850 Hi Patricia, they need to make the announcement, this is the government, for the opening of businesses. And the reason that they're waiting until the weekend, this texter feels, is a smoke screen on the Judge Wolf debate, which is going on in the doll. Are you being cynical or what? Owen says, hi. In regard to the winning teams last weekend, the GAA matches all hugging each other. You're not taking into account the regular testing of elite team members. The likelihood of the presence of virus is much less amongst a team like that than it would be in the general public's zone. When somebody was comparing, well, somebody was criticising Dr. Tony saying he didn't see, he, well, it wasn't that he didn't see anything wrong, but he was saying, don't be blamed, don't be pointing the finger of blame at the teams at the weekend who were celebrating and that they had reason to celebrate. And somebody was saying, and they're telling us we can't hug our family members. Owen is saying it's not, 
like with like. It's two very different uh, situations. And somebody else says, Apta, tell him to stop giving out about poor old Dr. Tony Houlihan. Us marrieds still don't have to have a perspex down the middle of the bed. And that's sound M. And dare I say, yes. And Meg says, the best Christmas present this year you can give to anyone is to keep away from people. We have to get that into our heads. We were talking about mice and rats earlier. A listener says, Patricia, just to let you know, I actually have an amazing field mouse and I've named her. She's called Alice. She's very fun, funny and she loves country music. Now, how you know that Alice loves country music? I don't know. And that comes in from a band, a Bantry listener. There's nothing wrong with having a little uh, mouse who comes to a visit. Uh, Morris, this is on the restrictions on funerals where somebody was saying they were watching a funeral online and they just thought it was so sad and that we need to lift the restrictions that are there around funerals. Well, Morris disagrees. The restrictions with regard to funerals, Morris feels, are actually a lot better for the family of the loved ones. A lot of noise goes on with people turning up at very large funerals only to see who's there and what is actually going on and to have a little bit of a nose. The lady waving to her husband that your listener commented on was probably being comforted by somebody very close to her. May all deceased rest in peace, says Morris. And some people, Morris is right, are liking the smaller, more intimate funerals than the very big funerals that we tend to have. Uh, but then it's when they limited the numbers and families had to handpick who could attend the funerals. I, I had really, really huge sympathy for families at times like that. But you are right, Morris. There are people that prefer the intimacy of a small funeral, just having your family, your very close family around you. Hi, Patricia. What about the fortunate 2000 plus people whose lives have been lost this year due to COVID-19? They won't get to enjoy Christmas this year through no fault of their own. This number will increase, mark my words, if restrictions are eased and people simply become complacent. The best Christmas present for me would be a vaccine. Yeah, and we have to, there's a wait for a vaccine, but there's there's still more good news. There's still more good news uh, coming through about the vaccine. The Oxford one now is the latest one to join the list, uh, isn't it? And they will be the, so that's the third now that we have on uh, vaccines, which uh, certainly is a little bit of uh, good news. Okay, also into us by phone, Jane in Mallow. When we had the big freeze a few years ago, Jane used to leave her car at the end of the driveway, obviously a steep driveway and was afraid of driving up and down in case of skidding or whatever. Anyway, during that time, a mouse ended up living in the car. Uh, Jane said he survived on chocolate. When the weather improved, he moved out. She says instead of cutting back the hedges, we should be leaving them grow for the wildlife and for the birds. And she saw nothing wrong with a mouse living in her car during the big freeze. Obviously a big fan of wildlife life. And in Glantan, this is on people coming home for Christmas. What about years ago, said Anne, when air travel was so very expensive and people could only afford to travel home, maybe every couple of years. It, it is for the good of everyone that people are being asked this year not to travel. Maybe some of these people simply have too much money, but they certainly are not thinking clearly if anyone is compl- if, if anyone is contemplating coming from overseas. Back to mice. Eileen on Bear Island says she's two pet cats, one inside, one outside. 
she still ended up having a rat in her house and she had to get rent to kill in. She said the cat wasn't in the least bit bothered by the rat. He still has a cat that's too well looked after, Eileen, for sure. And Charlie in Wheeling says, cheddar cheese is the best thing to catch mice. And he's speaking, obviously, from experience. Use the cheddar cheese, even though the experts are telling us cheddar cheese is not the best way to go. And can I quickly go to a text that came in earlier that I know I got Bernie to put a call through and we're seeing if we could help out this uh, listener. Um, it's Audrey, one of our regular listeners to the programme, says, could anybody offer any help to my daughter-in-law with a COVID payment, pandemic payment, please? She is in full-time employment since the 4th of August and has been out of work now for the last five weeks on account of the lockdown. She applied for the COVID payment and was turned down. She has appealed, but she's still waiting. She can't get to talk to anyone who can help her out. Please, please, please. Is there anyone that can help her? She has private rent to pay every month and now she's no money coming in and she passed on her telephone number. I'm wondering, is there any other people out there in the same uh, position? And, and we've put a call through to the young lady to see because I was, I instantly said, I wonder, could a local TD, local TDs are great. They seem to have great ways of getting on to the department to see. Now, it turns out what's happened in this case was this young woman was on a CE scheme and then went to full-time employment. But for some reason, the system is saying that she's on a CE scheme, not in full-time employment. And even though when she managed to get through to people, they're saying, oh yeah, that's a glitch in the system. Oh yeah, you should be. And she is entitled uh, to the payment. So we've we've checked in with her and we're leaving the TD get on to see if, I don't know if it's he or she is her local TD to see if it can get sorted out but I don't know, has that happened to anybody else? It was just, and literally they've, somebody in the department has admitted there was a glitch in the system she should be getting the money but to be five weeks without any pay really is crazy and by the way for anybody who is on a COVID, the PUP payment as it's called, the pandemic unemployment uh, payment, that's just been announced that that's going to be extended to new entrance until uh, March the welfare, that's the payment. It's for anyone who loses their job as a direct result of uh, COVID-19. And it was was due to close to new applicants on the 1st of January. Now, I know we've had a number of listeners contact us who were concerned that if they went back to work and then they lost their job again, say they went back to work between now and Christmas and then the job dried up and they were, because of COVID-19, or there was another lockdown and they were out of work in January. People were fearful because the PUP payment was ending in for new entrants in January, they would then have to go on a job seekers allowance, which is a less pay than the PUP payment. And they were fearful of going back to work. And employers had contacted us saying, we're ready to take employees back on. But they could understand why the employees were afraid of going back on. So they've changed their rules. So that's a good move by the Social Protection Minister, Heather Humphreys. She's bringing a memo to gov- government on extending the scheme to new entrants until March because the PUP payment ranges between €203 Euro and €300. And 50 euro. It depends on how much the employee was earning before they lost the job. And if that scheme had closed on the 1st of January, which is what it was expected to do, it would mean if somebody lost their job because of COVID after the 1st of January, they would only be entitled to the 203 job seekers uh, payment. So uh, a bit of good news there. And that will give comfort to people who are nervous about going back to work in case, in case there was another lockdown in January or February. 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Celebrate a real Cork Christmas. Find out more at corkcoco.ie. Can talk the support group for adults 
else affected by cancer in any way. Their group is continuing online with support meetings held every Tuesday evening at half past seven. Attendance is free, but booking is essential. Uh, tonight's meeting, the group that meet, is a time for tranquility. You can get more details by going online to cantalk.ie. And the running fireman, Alex O'Shea, is asking everyone to take on the challenge of helping his virtual guide dog to travel the world in 80 days and raise funds for the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind to join the fun. You simply make a donation to justgiving.com around the world in 80 days and then send your kilometres or miles to, to facebook.com forward chat forward slash challenge Alex or proceeds will go towards supporting the life-changing work of the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. And a listener saying if we move to Level 3, which is what expected to happen next week, will hotels be opened under Level 3? Well, if you look at the gov.ie and the restrictions under Level 3, it does say hotels, guesthouse and B&Bs remain open under Level 3, but with services limited to restaurants, so people can't walk in and have a meal, for example. But if you're staying in the hotel, uh, you can use the services of the hotel. That could change, but under Level 3 as it is, is yes, hotels do uh, open under uh, level three. Another texter says, Trish, it is simple. If the pubs weren't doing takeaway pints, there wouldn't be a problem like we had in the city centre for the last couple of weekends. People wouldn't be walking and around and gathering in large groups on the street if the pubs weren't doing takeaway a drink. I, th- I think yes, they're uh, some people are heading to the city for the takeaway drinks but also if you watched any of the video footage or seen any of the stills or photographs taken in the city and some of the gatherings were organised gatherings say amongst groups of friends for example and they brought their own takeaway drink with them it wasn't that they were buying the takeaway pints they went with their own you know bag of cans bottle of wine whatever it was they brought their own drink with them so all of the blame you can't say is to do with the takeaway drink that is on sale. And Nora says, if you need to get rid of rodents, you can buy something called Pest Clear. You plug it in and it gets rid of them. You can buy it in your local co-op store, says Nora. So anybody having problems with rodents, Pest Clear is what our Nora is recommending. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Ah, we don't do a lot of requests, but there's a lovely request in for a lady called Peggy Pine of Knockinevin near Mitchellstown. And Peggy, I'm told you are celebrating your 90th birthday today and your neighbours Tony and Maureen Chambers want to wish you a very happy lockdown 90th birthday happy birthday to you that's Peggy Pine in Knockinevin near Mitchellstown now Joe Heffernan uh, joins us good afternoon to you Joe good afternoon um, we're, we're picking up on last week we started on a piece on gambling and we promised this week that we would do it's, it's one of these questionnaires there's 20 yeah. questions in, yeah. in total this is from uh, Gamblers Anonymous so it's it, they're simple you just mark yes and no isn't it absolutely you're counting see how many yeses you have. You're counting the yeses, okay, so yeah. you don't necessarily need pen and paper, but if you want to put down ticks, please do. Okay, yeah. because there's 20 questions, let's get through them. Um, away you go. Okay, well the first one is, did you ever lose time from work, college, or school due to gambling? The second one, has gambling ever made your home life unhappy? Three, did gambling affect your reputation? Four. Have you ever felt remorse after gambling? 
Five, did you ever gamble to get money with which to pay debts or otherwise solve financial difficulties? Six, did gambling cause a decrease in your ambition or efficiency? I suppose that would go with the first one, like about losing time from from work, etc. Seven, after losing... Did you ever feel you must return as soon as possible and win back your losses? Eight. After a win, did you ever have a strong urge to return and win more? Nine. Did you often gamble until your last euro was gone? Ten. Did you ever borrow to finance your gambling? 11. Have you ever sold anything to finance gambling? 12. Were you reluctant to use gambling money for normal expenditures? 13. Did gambling make you careless of the welfare of yourself or your family? 14. Did you ever gamble longer than you planned? 15. Have you ever gambled to escape worry or troubles? 16. Have you ever committed or considered committing an illegal act to finance your gambling? 17. Did gambling cause you to have difficulty sleeping? 18. Do arguments, disappointments or frustration create within you an urge to gamble? 19. Did you have an urge to celebrate good fortune by a few hours of gambling? And 20. Have you ever considered self-destruction or suicide as a result of your gambling? Well, that's quite a powerful one. Okay, so out of that 20, how many yeses would you consider that person has a problem with gambling? Well, um, seven. Is it seven? Oh. Yeah, if a person has answered yes to at least seven of these questions, well then, um, you may have a gambling problem and it's well worth um, investigating that, um, uh, you know, with um, uh, the the site like Problem Gambling um, uh, Ireland um, uh, and our uh, GA... Uh, Gamblers Anonymous. And And do you find that people who have an addiction to gambling, I mean, deep down, do they know that they have a problem or do they have a tendency to bury their heads in the sand and think, oh no, that affects somebody else, that doesn't affect me? Well, I've had quite a few people in the last 20 years who would have knocked on the door um, uh, of the practice here and came in and said, I have a problem with gambling. No, the they're 50% on the way to recovery because they've admitted that they have a problem and quite obviously, um, by the very fact that they attend, uh, means that they want to do um, something about it. Um, so the answer to that is yes. Often it's as um, it's at a point when it has become, as one of the questions said there, like um, detrimental to self and our uh, family welfare. Um, I remember uh, talking with a a young man, an extremely um, 
you know, intelligent, good young men who had worked very hard down through the years and had collected um, uh, enough money for college. Um, and, uh, you know, to be admired, without question or doubt. Um, he got interested in internet gambling in a very innocent way, yeah. a sport that he was interested in, as has happened. And uh, and the whole lot went. So He lost here, all of his college fund. All of the college funds went. My God. Yeah. My God. Yeah, and there was quite a lot there because he was a very responsible young man who had worked very hard and saved up a lot of money for college. That was exactly the goal, money for college. And uh, and this thing, uh, as it were, took over and uh, and and uh, uh, and the whole lot went. Um, uh, you know, we, we hear about the dramatic cases, like, as you said yourself, you interviewed Tony Ten. Um, who no, worked, that who was, worked in the post office. and yeah, 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 that was extreme. Well, he ended up going to jail because he had... He did, he, he had, did. He had stolen he so much now, money from the post office. The the good message to, to go out, the, the very, very good message is that um, recovery is absolutely possible. I mean, Tony has turned his life around and, um, you know, he's to be admired because what a lot of people would kind of bark at a small bit is that this is an illness, this is a disease. Um, You know, you you get that a fair bit with addictions, um, whether it's alcohol, drugs, um, well, alcohol, other drugs, and um, maybe gambling. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of people would see it as sort of um, self-indulgence, you know, rather than it is an illness. And it's an illness that has caused an awful lot of deaths. I mean, that article that I quoted last week um, where Professor Colin O'Gara, the head of addiction services in the St. John of God Hospital in Dublin, um, has, uh, the quotation is, the rates of suicide with gambling disorder are much higher. My God. uh, Than in the other... um, in in the other uh, uh, addictions. Well, you know, one of the questions I thought was interesting, do you ever gamble longer than you've planned? Yes. And earlier this morning when I was teeing up that you were coming on the programme, I was saying how gambling has changed. There was a time where a person in previous generations would have had to have gone to the betting shop. It's the only yes. place that, that, that they could have gambled and they could only gamble for the hours that the betting shop was, was open. Yes. And, and people saw what they were gambling. Whereas yes. now... You don't even have to leave your bedroom, let alone leave your house to yeah. be involved in gambling. And you can lose huge sums of money like that young lad. Yeah. He probably never stepped outside his door and lost his entire college fund. Exactly. And um, and I don't think ever stepped inside a betting office either. Wow. Never. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to the best of my knowledge now, looking back. Um, yes, indeed. And I mean, um, if, if you wanted to, at 4 a.m., if you were having trouble sleeping and you decided that you do a bit of gambling to uh, pass the time, as it were, it's quite available at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 a.m. No problem at all. And of course, you can go through all the different time zones now for live events. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 1 o'clock in the morning would be an evening game in America. 
Yeah. And all the other, some of the other questions are interesting. Like, you know, do you do you gamble to pay off debts, or do you do you feel you must return as soon as possible and win back your losses? That's that chasing the losses, Precisely. isn't it? You always yeah. believe the next one, the next is going to be the big yeah. one. Yeah, I'll get back my losses. Um, uh, I'm after losing, we'll say, on five bets, but the sixth one could redeem the whole lot, and it, it, it'll be okay. The only problem is that the sixth one very often loses again. So that becomes the seventh one to recoup losses. And that is, as you quite correctly say, that's when you're chasing losses. And that's when you're heading for the next phase of gambling, which is the desperation phase, where all sense, I suppose, is one way of putting it, uh, goes out the window. And that's where you'll get involved in crime. You might start stealing or selling items or not paying the mortgage. And Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, people have lost, um, you know, I, I, I'm just uh, thinking of, of this phrase. Um, you, you'd hear about a person who lost the farm. Wow. Well, you know, it happens. It happens. And... Um, and then um, it affects the the person who is doing the gambling, and also, obviously, it affects the entire uh, household um, if the person is in indoor circumstances. And very often, um, uh, you know, things that are important get neglected, and the gambling kind of comes first. I remember one time. Um, having, um, uh, uh, it was actually on a golf course, I was talking to a guy and um, he said that he would really, really resent uh, the the wife going to, we'll say, um, uh, uh, a clothes shop and spending um, uh, money on a, on a nice dress. He, he would think that that was, you know... Uh, he he wouldn't feel good about that at all. He'd feel bad about it. But he could put four times, five times the price of the dress um, uh, on, on, uh, on a greyhound at the track. And saw, saw nothing wrong with, with even saying that. Yeah, yeah. That was a straightforward couple of sentences. And, um, you know, uh, in, in a way, I suppose, it was a, it was a clear statement of... I have a problem with gambling. Yeah, yeah. where you, you can straight away see where your his priorities lay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And of all of the addictions, it's probably the most hidden. Well, this is the big thing about it: is that um, as we often have said, um, that uh, you know, drinking or drugging, um, you know, it's going to be obvious um, physically uh, in the person with slurred speech or. Um, uh, you know, uh, a change in personality. Uh, so there's, I mean, it becomes obvious. If a person is after drinking a load of alcohol, there'll be a smell from their breath. Whereas a person can be in a three-piece suit, collar and tie, whole lot, everything, looking absolutely immaculate and perfect, and can be in the throes of a gambling addiction. And um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very, very hidden. And therefore, very, very dangerous. And dual addictions? 
Well, that can happen too, or a transfer. Um, a person who, we'll say now, a person who goes to the pub, drinks a fair bit, and uh, and and pops out and now and again uh, to the bookies to put a bet on. Now, supposing, right, we'll take it either way. If the betting becomes very problematic, and if the person is wise enough and lucky enough to get into recovery, probably by uh, contacting Gamblers Anonymous, um, yeah, there can be a kind of a compensatory factor or a transfer of the addictive personality to the the alcohol side of things, and that can get out of hand. Now, that's not a given, but it happens, and it happens quite a bit. The reverse can happen. A person decides that the alcohol is a problem, and um, much to the um, relief of the person himself or herself and uh, family at home, the drinking stops. But then the requirement for the buzz with the addictive personality could mean that uh, the gambling could begin to get out of hand. It wouldn't be the first time that that happened. A thing that happened in the past an awful lot was uh, people gave up the alcohol um, instead of kind of going through the pain of recovery and um, uh, and that. Um, you know, there was, in the past, uh, there was uh, the Valium and uh, the Hemineverin, um there were people even who went into treatment centers and came out with a different addiction because uh, Hemineverin was um, uh, used way back before people copped on that was really transferring one addiction to another. That's then getting addicted to to, prescript, to prescriptive um, uh, drugs. Yeah. And that's where, as you say, and, and you've said numerous times, it's, it's a disease. Addiction is a disease. And we've mentioned Gamblers Anonymous. You do have a telephone number in case, you know, we're just twigging somebody listening to us now, that help is available. Right. Um, And what I will do is I will call out that number to you. Um, uh, It's 087-2859-552. Now, I haven't checked out that number in very recent times, um, but... I mean, the uh, the website, uh, Gamblers Anonymous, will have all uh, means of contact. And but that's for, the one for, that I have, okay. and I, I and presume that's a, you that, have it there now. Yeah, 087-285-9552. And Mike in uh, Bantry says it is the family that suffer. And, yeah. uh, and how right he is. OK, well, that's and where we, I've got to leave it. We, and we'll get into that next week. We will indeed. Gammonon. That's exactly what I was going to say. We'll do that next week. Joe, have a good week. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thanks for that. Thanks for uh, Joe Heflin runs a counselling practice in Bohapui. His number is 0297661017. And that's where I wrap it up for today. Thanks to Bernie for working on the show. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. We're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. And I'm Trish Mester. Very good afternoon. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.